and we welcome you into episode 12 of the best podcast available. I'm Jason Gibbs. He's Andrew Gribble. And today and this week, it's get to know some of your new Cleveland Browns rookies. The rookie class is in. Coming up on today's show, the highest profile rookie. We will hear from one of our mid-round draft picks. We'll hear from Project X. And we'll hear from an undrafted free agent that they call the Scottish Hammer. A full, full program for you today. Gribbs, uh, rookie minicamp in the rearview mirror already. And the guys are out of the building for about five or six days to get their final things together and make all your final arrangements because basically once you come here starting next week for phase three of OTAs, you're basically here until about three weeks before training camp starts. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think the, the big difference with the rookie minicamp this year compared to the last ones is just the lack of hype, the lack of buzz. I mean, this is what happens when you've got your quarterback situation settled and when you don't pick until the second round. So Greedy Williams was essentially treated like a first-round pick uh, because he was the first pick, but he's still a second-round pick. So uh, it was interesting to see these guys get mixed in. I think I agree with a lot of people that the guys who stood out were the guys that are already on your team. I mean, there's a clear divide, I think, between players you draft and tryout players you bring in. Uh, and I was I was d- delighted to know that I maybe know football a little bit when I see a guy like Javante Dean make a couple plays at, at rookie minicamp, and then he gets signed a couple days later. So uh, it shows if you make plays, you can get an opportunity here. But, you know, it's just a kind of business-like uh, mini camp that I think once we get these guys in with the, with the players that are actually on this team, you know, I think then then it starts to feel a little bit more real. We got to see them for two days. They basically had three days worth of practices, plus the big rookie dinner, a, a number of alumni coming back this year. John Dorsey wanted a lot of the alumni back to speak to the guys about how important and what it means to wear the, the brown and orange. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. A, a full weekend for those guys, and really – it's a full, and we've talked about it on the BPA, it is a full five months from the day that the college football season ends through the week after you're drafted. It is a whirlwind, especially after, right after the draft. Yeah, it's especially hectic when you do, the the Browns do their rookie minicamp right after the draft, and, and they are in the minority with that. I think there were one of 11 teams that had their rookie minicamp uh, the week after the draft. I think... I wonder if it goes two ways. I wonder if you're more likely to do it right after the draft when you have this early OTA schedule because I think some teams will have their mini camp this weekend, but they still have a, a couple weeks before their OTAs really get kicked in the year because the Browns are ahead of schedule uh, in that regard. So really, you're right. You do have a week. You have a week to get your life together uh, before you get here for mini camp, and then you have another week to really start to figure some things out because uh, then you're going to be here for a while. So it's just it's it really doesn't slow down for a rookie honestly until the end of their first season. That's when they really get their first true break because I think you get the summer before training camp, but if you're not busting your butt during that time, then you might be starting from way behind. So. Uh, I think life is just kind of stressful, but that's the way it is. These guys have a golden opportunity in the NFL, so they can handle a little bit of stress. Well, and and we've talked to Joel Batonio. You talked to Austin Corbett on the Mm -hmm. BPA about it. You know, the first downtime they got was that January after that rookie season. 
Yeah. And they, they finally got to take a vacation. A lot of them didn't even get to go on vacation in those three or four weeks between the time they were allowed to leave the facility and the time they had to report back to training camp. Yeah, outside of those signing bonuses, the real checks don't come until you start playing games, too. So I think that so maybe that, that makes it uh makes it a little bit more comfortable. But yeah, I think that the guy the the really this part of the process, the the coaches know their heads are spinning and it's about retaining information. I think that Freddie, I think, is as heard on building the Browns, I think they the the maybe the play was a little bit crisper on Friday at rookie minicamp when they had a few a couple days to gi- digest the information. Then they go install something else and then try to do it an hour later, and all of a sudden it's kind of a mess out there. So that's that's expected. So they're they're it's all about how these guys are going to retain the information and then be able to apply it when it really matters. Well, and our good friends in the on the video side of things releasing their building the Browns rookie minicamps show. You know they talked to Freddie Kitchens about it. And Freddie said. It's tough. A lot of these kids have never had to go through an install in the morning, execute in the afternoon, and some guys are going to pick that up a lot quicker than others. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's it's one of those things where, you know, some guys are going to be are, are going to be quick adapters, and it's it's one of those things where you don't want to write a guy off right away just because they're not dig- getting it right away, but it'll click for them eventually. It's when you start seeing the first and second weeks of training camp. Are these guys really ready to go? And, and usually you can kind of pick up on it, whether someone's ready or <laughs> yeah. someone's not. I think that we knew right away last year that, that Denzel Ward w- was ready. And I think that was that was big for this team to step into a role uh, and fill it. I think there's some other guys who are – I don't want to say slower developers, but guys who maybe take a year or two to really find their niche. Rashard Higgins is a good example of that. He took some time to really get used to the NFL speed, kind of figure out what he's good at and what role he can play in an offense. And all of a sudden in year three, even when there's better wide receivers around him, all of a sudden he's playing at a higher level. He had a golden opportunity that first year and just wasn't all wasn't good enough. And I think that year three, he had better talent around him, and all of a sudden he elevated his game, and now he's poised to have a big role in year four. Well, and again, the expectations that are put on some of these guys, I think we forget that, that Wood was a mid-round pick. And yeah. some of those guys are going to be able to play on day one, and some of them aren't going to be ready to play on day one. And that's – you. Know, we didn't have a first-round pick, so and like you said, the expectations on Greedy Williams is, well, he's the other lockdown corner opposite Denzel. Not so fast. Number one, the DB room is pretty loaded, and number two, he was a second-round pick. He might not be ready to go. Yeah, that's the one I worry about with expectations. All the other ones, I think the expectations are pretty fair, I but I think with Greedy Williams – he is a second round pick and he had some reasons why he fell to that spot in the draft. And this is a team that had no problem sitting a second round pick that was drafted higher than him last year. Didn't see the field at all on a team that had less talent than this current Browns team. So I wouldn't be sending out the the red flags if, if you don't see Greedy Williams out there to start the season as your number one starter opposite Denzel Ward. I think he has a goal, an opportunity to do it, but he, he's got to beat out two guys that have been doing it for years and TJ Carey and Terrence Mitchell. I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do. And I, so I, I worry about the, the immediate proclamations of bust. Uh, you know, anytime you see these clips, I think there was a, uh, there was a play where he greedy might've gotten toasted a little bit by Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. And I think that uh, there's, I, I go through this when I, uh, when I pick out pictures on our website, you, there are never good pictures of DBs. Uh, and the reason is the, is the is the photos get taken and the videos get taken when they're getting burned. When they're doing their job, it doesn't make for anything exciting. So you're going to see some some moments where these guys get 
toasted and they don't look very good, but they're still good players. Yeah, it's definitely going to take a while. Coming up on the program today, as I mentioned, you're going to hear from uh, Sheldrick Redwine, special teams extraordinaire, a guy that is expected to play a certain role on this team, I think, to start off his career and then hopefully evolve into one of those DBs that are in the mix. You'll hear from Drew Forbes, Project X, offensive lineman coming into a loaded offensive line room. Not a lot of pressure to play right away, but a good chance to maybe develop this guy and see what you have in him. And then obviously Jamie Gillen can kick, can punt. He's done a lot of it. We know Freddie is expecting a lot more from the special teams here in 2019. But kicking things off, Greedy Williams, uh, really outside of draft night, his first one-on-one interview with anybody uh, in the organization. And you had a chance to sit down with him and for almost nine minutes. And a pretty impressive kid, but still a kid that's fairly wide-eyed going into yeah, this. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think the one thing that maybe hadn't been talked much about, and I asked him a couple of questions about it, was you know, he's a talented player, but he went to LSU, and they, they decided pretty quickly that he wasn't going to play his first, first season there. And for someone as talented as he is, I mean, that had to be kind of a tough pill to swallow, but he kind of understood the deal. He was surrounded by NFL DBs, uh, whether it be Jamal Adams, a safety, or uh, Tredavious White, who was ahead of him uh, on the depth chart. But he, he really made his impact. And really, I, I want to say, if you reverse his seasons, he might have been easily a first-round pick because I think arguably his freshman season was better than his second season, statistically on tape. Uh, but he got better week in, week out, playing against a lot of good competition. And I just think as a DB, he had some struggles with tackling, some other is- injury issues, but uh, uh, someone who just has the pedigree that you're looking for at the position. All right, with that being said, let's get right into it here on Episode 12 of the Best Podcast Available. Andrew Gribble with the Browns' number one pick in 2019, second-round pick, Greedy Williams. Greedy, just uh, walk me through what, what's been maybe one of the craziest weeks of your life here and, and kind of start with, with going back to, to Nashville and, and that whole experience. Uh, you know, just going to Nashville, you know, expecting to get picked first round. Uh, that didn't happen. So uh, we go back home and, you know, just you – know, I told my parents, you know, it's day two coming up. And, uh, you know, I expect to get picked early in day two. But, you know, I think, you know, God don't make mistakes and he put me in the right spot to be with the Browns. So, you know, just coming in here and uh, just – you know, soaking up everything, you know, getting extra study and, uh, you know, learning the playbook very fast, you know, give me a great opportunity, you know, to be on the outside. I know it was probably a neat experience to go to Nashville, but what did it mean to be around so many more people when you went to, back to Shreveport? Uh, it meant a lot, man. You know, just some of my family members I had left. So, you know, just wanting to go back and, you know, celebrate this moment with them. And, uh, you know, that was a big moment for, you know, like me and my whole family. So that's the experience I'm sure, you know, everybody have, you know, in their mind for a memory. Who is the most excited out of anyone there? Uh, my mom, basically everybody, you know, everybody had that, you know, everybody just emotional and, um, you know, just happy for me. So, you know, but like I said, it was everybody. What, what was the, the process like getting here and like what does what what a rookie like you have to do in those days leading up to, to getting here on Thursday? Uh, you definitely got to come in, you know, just, you know, come in, you know, uh, fit, you know, already, you know, in condition. And, um, you know, just when you get up here, you know, just all about, you know, learning the playbook, you know, and how quick can you learn it. And, um, you know, just – and the rest is just football, you know. Can you can you relate what you just learned on the field in a matter of, like, two hours? So, you know, I feel like, you know, the transition is well, and, uh, you know, I'm ready to get rolling. When's the first time in your life you ever thought about the NFL? First time in my life when I was, like, seven or eight when I started watching, like, actual 
you know, football games on TV and, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboys were my favorite team and, you know, I always, somebody, I don't know, my mom was favorite team with Dallas, so, you know, we always just been Dallas fans and, you know, uh, kind of growing out of that, you know, just realized, you know, I want to, you know, be one of them guys that's playing on TV, you know, for people can watch me and, uh, you know, I lived up to that, so. Even when you were seven or eight, was it always defensive back, or was, when did that happen? No, I was always a. I'm a person who likes to score, so you know, um, when I got to high school, you know, they changed my position to corner, and uh, ever since then, you know, I just kind of you know molded myself into being a corner, and uh, you know, took extra extra uh, practice, you know, just to be a corner, and uh, you know, LSU. When I got to LSU, you know, it was all, you know, it was over. It's all football. When did you fall in love with the position? Just the nuances and everything with it. Uh, you know, I, it was it was nerve wracking, man. Just playing corner, and then you know, just one thing and this, and then next thing is that. So, you know, I fell in love with it. You know, probably like my tenth grade year when I was like, you know, I'm actually getting scholarships for doing this. So, you know, why not? You know, just keep you know, just keep molding myself to be one of the great corners, and you know, that's what kind of you know made me you know love the corner position. What's in the water at LSU that keeps producing these corners? Like, and it was that one of the reasons you went there? Uh, you know, LA, I just LSU. You know what they offer at the professional level, and uh, you know they um gonna teach you a lot of football. You know, understand the game of football, but like we got one of the best defensive back coach. You know, in college football, who you know train us very well. You know, have us well equipped. You know, at this next level, and um, you know, so you know my position coach and you know the coaching staff. You know, helped me. You know, get get to where I'm at. What did that year of not playing? Uh, due to your game and, and how was was going through that? Uh, that year not playing, you know, it's just a lot of you know sit back and study the you know the greats that went before me. You know, two guys in the first round um, in that class, and it was Jamal Adams, Trey White, and uh, I just watched everything they did, man. As far as like how they take notes, you know, how they practice, you know, how they um, you know just act professional, you know, on, in the college. So you know, me just taking that, taking up after them, you know, I put myself in a great position. Did you know going into that year you might be not able to play much, or how how was handling that, and how did it get you ready for your redshirt year? Uh, I found out when um we was in fall camp, and uh, coaches came up to me like, you know, we're gonna redshirt you, you know, let's put a little more weight on you, uh, get some of these guys out the way, and um, hopefully, you know, you be the next guy up. And you know, a guy went down, I stepped up, you know, the rest is history. And just kind of looking at, at kind of the way you've built yourself, how, how does your size and, and length kind of help do what you do? Uh, you know, it's just, you know, this game now you got, you know, tall receivers, so you're going to need tall corners, you know, to cover some of those receivers. And, uh, like, I was blessed, you know, with the 6'2 length and, um, you know, with the, with the speed, 4'3 speed. So, you know, you get you can't really, you know, find too many corners like that's equipped, you know, can, who can, you know, be flexible, you know, in different positions. So, you know. Just me just being one of them corners, you know, it's God gifted. When you look back at your, at your kind of two years playing at LSU, was there a special moment where you maybe played your best? Or when, when do you remember the, the from the playing field the most there? Uh, definitely when I first stepped on the field. Um, my, my first season was probably one of my best seasons I ever had. And, like, whenever I, since I've been playing football and, um, you know, second season came, you know, people, was, you know, obviously heard about me and they were scared to throw at me. So, you know, it was a pretty, pretty boring season. And, uh uh, that's why I had to hurry up and get to the professional level, you know, for for the competition level can get better. Is that the ultimate compliment, though, when you're not getting thrown at? Yeah, that's a great compliment. You know, you re that means you're respected in that league, and uh, you know, you can't can't say too much about you know people not throwing at you when you when they know what's gonna happen. 
In the SEC, I mean, you lined up against some guys that got drafted just this past weekend, too. Was there any guy that, that stood out as when you were guarding him or like, I'm going to see this guy in the NFL? Uh, actually, we played when we played DK. He, played for the, he got drafted by the Seahawks. You know, me and him had tough battles. Um, you know, A.J. Brown, you know, guys like that. Ole Miss had great receivers. Uh, so, you know, guys like that, you know, made the game ten times better and make it fun and, you know, just going out there, you know, competing with great guys. Is there a type of receiver you like matching up with the best? Like a, like a DK is a, a big guy, but then there's some other smaller shiftier guys. Which guys do you think you line up best against? Uh, you know, just you know, just whoever on my side, you know, that's who I got to guard. So, you know, me personally, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have no picks and choose. You know, anybody can, you know, get this work. So, From what you've learned about this Browns defense, what's the biggest difference from what you were doing in college? Uh, we definitely, you know, play a lot of zone and, um, you know, Zone is like the thing you need for a corner because you're going to burn them out in man-to-man every every rep. So, you know, just playing a lot of zone and, uh, you know, just bonding with the coaches and, and, you know, the defense, you know, I think it's fit right, you know, for outside corner. Is it inspiring to see what a guy like Denzel was able to accomplish his rookie year? Is that kind of the goal for you too? Oh, yeah, definitely, you know, just get up under him, you know, understand what he was doing, you know, just to, you know, put himself as a rookie starter and, um, you know, just, like I said, go up under his wing, you know, learn everything that – Got him, you know, to the Pro Bowl. I know you didn't probably know much about the Browns before you got here. How much of the crash course have, have you gotten over these past couple of days? Man, it's been nice, man. You know, just soaking up all the love, you know, all the, you know, support. Um, you know, the fans, probably the best fans in, you know, NFL. And, um, you know, from the teammates to the coaching staff to everybody, you know, just, you know, you know, welcome me in, you know, and, um, you know, let me, you know, try to try to be one of the extra piece to the defense, and uh, you know, hopefully we got that we got that long shot ahead of us. Yeah. What did you think of uh, when Odell posted that thing on Instagram right after you drafted? Oh, it was nice. You know, uh, like at LSU, we always like want want everybody to make it. So you know, after him after him seeing me come to the Browns after he just got here, you know, he felt like uh, we just added a great piece to the defense. You know, a guy who can get us the ball back, and you know, we capitalize off of what he did. So, you know, I know he was happy. I know he was excited. And now we just, you know, got to come in and, you know, put the work in to get that goal, to get that one goal. Yeah, what what are you hoping to improve the most once those those veterans get in here? What do, what do you, What's maybe your number one priority? Uh, my number one priority, you know, just to play football, you know, just be happy doing what I'm doing. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, we'll go in there and polish it up. But right now, you know, I think, you know, we just been, you know, having fun playing football, you know, getting our legs back up under us and, you know, just – like I said, waiting, waiting till the OTAs hit here, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what I need to work on. You got into no Sheldrick at all? You got into no Sheldrick Redwine at all? I mean, have you, you guys crossed paths before, or is this the first time you guys met? Uh, actually, we played against each other. Uh, we played in Miami my last season, first game. And, um, you know, uh, I was just talking to him about it. You know, we just having conversations. But mostly we just be about the playbook, you know, and, uh, you know, he just, you know, asked me what I got, be asking what he got. So, you know, just bonding like that, trying to get the playbook together. And uh, once we get that together, you know, other things get talked about. A solid way to start off the best podcast available, Gribs. Is there something you learned from Greedy Williams that maybe you didn't know going into this? I mean, I, I think I maybe knew this, but he, you can tell this guy went to a – he has the big program swagger to him. I think that's the – there's no – he might be wide-eyed right now, but it's not because he's intimidated by the competition. I think he is coming into this situation expecting to have a really good shot at being a, a player that starts right away. And I, I just think that's part – it's part of the culture at LSU. And I think it's it, – we, we see it with our uh, our two other guys who are from LSU. I mean, that those are guys with confidence, swagger. I mean, I think that that's what you see 
from those players. And I, I, I it's because they're used to the bright lights. I don't think there's anything that is going to overwhelm uh, Greedy Williams, but I think he's got to have the mindset that he has a lot to get better at, uh, and there's not going to be anything handed to him right now. No question. I mean, Denzel Ward said it the other day on Cleveland Browns Daily. He said, I can show him what I know, but I've only been in the league for one year. There's a lot I still need to learn. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a process and he's got to have some patience. And it's crazy because when you think about it, Denzel stepped in right away as if he's been doing this for years, but he didn't even play that much at Ohio State. And I think Greedy played two full seasons. I mean, he was a he he was a starter from day one, the moment they uh, after his redshirt year. So he was he was a two, full two year starter. So arguably more experienced than Denzel Ward had. Uh, but there's just some some things that he needs to to work on. Uh, and we'll get better at it as he as he gets used to a, a defense that's going to ask some different things out of him. All right, so we talked about Greedy Williams, LSU, obviously. Uh, Mac Wilson from Alabama, Austin Siebert from Oklahoma, guys from big programs. And, and the next one up on our list, our fourth-round pick and the number one guy we took on day three of the NFL draft in Sheldrick Redwine, the safety out of the U. We're now the U of the North. I've heard that saying – more than a few times, uh, but yet another player coming up from Miami. Uh, here's a kid that was uh, an all-conference, honorable mention all-conference. Sheldrick had a, had a great junior year, senior year, maybe plateaued a little bit, but number one, right off the bat, he made significant contributions freshman year and sophomore year in special teams and became one of those core special teams guys and a role that I think that Mike Prefer and company have envisioned for him right off the bat here in Cleveland. Yeah, and he's got really good recovery speed, and I think that he's open to really helping this team wherever they can can get it. I think the position that he plays the best is, is a spot currently manned by Demarius Randall. So I, I, it's going to be hard to see him getting kind of a regular – uh, field time, but maybe he can't. Maybe they can find a role for him uh, on this team that way. But you're right. I think special teams is going to be where he really contributes. And another guy kind of oozing with confidence, the swagger, the Miami does that. Even when Miami – because he was there the junior year where, where Miami was really good for yes. a little bit there again. Uh, and he was kind of one of the faces of their defense during that time, played under Manny Diaz down there. Uh, so I, I think he brings – uh, a lot of confidence, but I, he's also someone that's relatively new to the safety positions. Only been playing it for a couple years, but uh, you know he's now one of eight Miami players in this team. Because you, you signed two more uh, after the tryouts, so that's eight Miami players on this team. That's almost one ninth of the roster. Right now. <laughs> it's amazing, and a lot of them are almost all of them are from Miami too. Like they grew up in Miami. Like when I asked him, I don't think he even considered going anywhere else. Like he probably could have, but this is this is what he was. He, do. he did have a number of Division One offers. He had eight Division One offers, yeah. and end up going with the U for obvious reasons. Uh, a successful player for them, and here we're hoping that he's going to be just as successful. Here's Andrew Gribble sitting down with Sheldrick Redwine. Have a listen. Sheldrick, I guess you probably knew a lot about the Browns even before you came here, just because a lot of a lot of former Miami guys. What was it like to know that you're walking into a situation with a lot of familiar faces out there? Uh, you know, it was a great feeling, you know, uh, just having them, you know, having those guys, you know, that I played with, you know, and that I seen around, be able to just try to help me get accustomed, you know, uh, really just find out how everything works in the NFL. Just what is it about that program that just keeps sending guys in the NFL? Is it just the mentality or is it growing up there? What what what, what would you say contributes to it? I say both, you know, uh, guys who came from out of, I mean, guys who came from out of state, uh, I feel like they really fell into the mentality. And guys who from Miami, you know, I feel like we're just born with the mentality. Do you even consider going anywhere else? 
Oh, no, nah, it was not even a consideration. You know, I got offered late in the process, but I knew whenever I got the opportunity, I was going to run with it. I guess the same mentality goes when you you, were, you started as a corner, moved to safety. What was the, the biggest uh, adjustment you made going to that process? Uh, biggest adjustment, just trying to adjust tackle angles, really, from coming inside out, you know, to, uh, coming downhill. But, you know, it's, it's football all. You know, I, I never really – it was it, it was just football to me. You know, they tell me to do it, you know, and I'm going to try to go execute it to the best of my ability. Is there something you like about the position that you, you maybe didn't think think about before you made that switch? Nah, I, I never had – I never really thought about it. You know, it was just – you know, like I said, you know, just football. Just – I like the physical aspect of it, you know, being able to show my speed, show the range on the field, you know, but it's really it's – it's all football to me, you know. I just I just love being on the field. Yeah, I've asked a lot of guys this, but when was the first time in your, in your life going way back when you thought about NFL being a possibility for you? Uh, I'll probably say – my 10th grade year going into my 11th grade year my first year as a starter in high school you know when I really realized you know uh if I you know if I put the work in you know just and sacrifice a lot you know and separate myself from others you know I could really have a possibility going to the NFL what position were you playing back then was it just corner or were you doing a lot of other stuff yes I was just playing corner and has it always been corner or were you a guy that wanted to have the ball in your hands initially when early in your in your career Nah, I play offense on my on my in my little league part, you know. But uh, my stepfather was my coach in high school. As soon as I got to high school, you know, he told me I'm going straight to defense. Knowing that, were there guys that you watched growing up that you wanted to emulate their game? Oh uh, yeah, I was a big Air Reed fan coming up, a uh, big Sean Taylor fan coming up, uh, Ray Lewis, you know, Miami guys. You know, I loved Ray Lewis and Air Reed, passion for the game, you know, uh, their leadership. And you know, just try to care, uh, translate that. You know, the physical nature of it. You know, uh, just being a Miami guy, you have to be physical. You seem like a pretty reserved guy, but does that change on the on the field? And you try to be as vocal as those guys were. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, uh, really, like you said, you know, I'm really reserved off the field. But you know, I love showing my personality on the field. You know, whether it be celebrations, you know, talking or whatever. You know, but I just like showing personality on the field. You know, because it's fun to me. I know the Miami uh, people. They, they, you like the dry erase board. Though. That was the thing yeah. they brought up. What was? What's the story behind that? And like, what, what, why did you kind of take it, take that over? Uh, me and Michael Jackson, the corner, we uh, talked about it like a, a, a day before um, the North Carolina game, my junior year. You know, we was just thinking of celebrations, what we could do if we got the chain. You know, we used to do that before every game, what we could do. And you know, uh, he really came up with the idea. You know, uh, just grabbing the board. You know, and then I thought about it, and you know, and then the next game, I mean, uh, the next day, you know, I actually caught an interception. You know, and I wasn't going to do it, you know, but I seen him, he was running towards me with the whiteboard, you know, and actually reminded me, you know, so I grabbed it, uh, wrote something on it, and then it was just born from there. You know, I decided to just make it mine. I was going to do it every time I got a turnover. What was the first thing you wrote on? Do you remember? Uh, hashtag SC Top Ten. Sports <laughs> top ten. Did it work? Nah. I mean, I think they played it, but you know, it didn't really make the top ten. It wasn't a big splash play. You know, it was an interception for like probably twenty yards, no touchdown. But you know, it was just something. I, I didn't really think about what to write before. You know, all the other times, you know, I had something pre-thought, but that was just something that just came off my head. You had to be. Were you about like a freshman when the turnover chain came back, or were you? Was that happening before you got there? The turnover chain? Turnover chain, yeah. No, I was only two years old. I was a junior. Okay. It came. It started my junior year. Okay. Well, do you remember the the origin of that, or how excited did that make your entire group? With oh, that? it made us very excited. You know, Coach Diaz, uh, he showed us it the our, my junior year, the first game. You know, in a defensive meeting. You know, and everybody went crazy. You know, everybody talking about how they wanted to be the first to get it. You know, so I had an opportunity the first game to get it. Uh, I didn't got it. I, I didn't get it. You know, uh, I they called a 
what I thought was an interception. You know, I tried to scoop a, gr- a ball off the ground, you know, to catch an interception. They called it dead ball, you know, and I was disappointed. But, you know, uh, one of my other teammates got it first. What's going to be the biggest adjustment coming from Miami's defense and what you've learned so far about this defense? I mean, it's all football. You know, you got to learn, you know, whatever they throw at you. You know, you're professional now. So this is your job, you know. So they're giving you a playbook. It's your job to learn it, you know. So uh, if any adjustments, just, you know, I mean, I, w- I, w- I really can't see any right now. You know, uh, it's still early. But, you know, it's all football, you know, just play football. Did you have a feeling you'd be coming here? Or did you, was there a team maybe in the process you thought you'd be going to? Uh, nah, not really. You know, I just took the process, you know, one day at a time. You know, I re- never really thought about, you know, what round, what team. You know, I just, I was just waiting on the opportunity. You know, I knew I was going to get an opportunity. Nah, I was just wherever, how I felt, wherever I had to go, I just had to make the most of it. You know, going back to last Saturday, who was in your house or wherever you're at, who was the most excited when, when you finally got the call? Uh, probably my auntie and my mother. You know, they both were screaming and shouting, you know, just happy. And then just what's the, the last few days of them, like, getting here and getting your life together? I mean, it's probably been a pretty crazy five days or so. Uh, I wouldn't say so. You know, uh, you know, I'm still living in the, you know, I'm I'm, I'm still, you know, trying to grasp that it's actually happened, you know. So uh, it's, it's a crazy feeling right now, but I wouldn't say nothing been too hectic. And just going into the secondary, you got Greedy Williams as a second-round pick, Denzel Ward. This this group's coming off a pretty good year. How exciting is it to get into a group with this much talent? Oh, very exciting. You know, those are uh, both great players. You know, uh, Denzel Ward, you know, had a hell of a rookie season. You know, Greedy Williams, knowing him from college, you know, he was one of the best DBs in, uh, coming out of college, you know. So it's exciting to be able to play with uh, next to those guys. Sheldrick Redwine, appreciate a few minutes of his time in our Get to Know the Rookies on the Best Podcast Available, Episode 12 edition. Gribbs, uh, anything that stood out to you? No, I mean, it's just he's he, – we, we talked to enough of him. He's, he's another Miami guy. Like, <laughs> there's just a different kind of – feeling with those guys and I've been around enough of them through my career whether it be before or after before or during my time here it's just those guys in Miami grew up knowing even though he didn't grow up I'm trying to like go back in time did he he might have been just getting born slash started when that second Miami dynasty started up where they were just loaded with talent with the the kind of the Kellen Winslow era the Butch uh, that would Davis. be right he might have been one or two years yeah, old yeah I mean well he might yeah maybe four or five four or five or six around that that age so maybe when he was really little that was the second great uh boost of Miami they probably didn't win as much as they should have ultimately because Ohio State beat them in that one national championship game but that in terms of churning guys out and putting them in the NFL I mean he grew up in that era and I think that even when Miami isn't winning at that same level all their players seem to carry that that confidence like as if they were winning and I think that's just part of the culture part of the program and uh, it might might be a reason why our, our guy Alonzo, who went there, kind of likes some of these guys, and these guys turn out to be be all right. I think uh, the Browns have been happy with their Miami guys so far. By the way, going back to what we were talking about earlier, he chose Miami over Arkansas, Louisville, Kentucky, South Florida, Illinois, Indiana, and Minnesota. Interesting three Midwest teams and Big Ten teams going after him there. Yeah, I mean, those Midwest schools, they've got to have people in Florida because there's not enough talent. To, to fill out your roster in, in your region. I mean, I think that Miami could, if they just made their team straight out of Miami guys, they wouldn't be too bad. So it's 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 one of those areas where the talent is is kind of consolidated in a lot of areas around this country. I believe both of our alma maters, uh, yeah. out of the Mid American Conference effort, usually uh, get the, the le- usually Florida. get the leftovers. Usually, <laughs> yes, usually do. get the leftovers <laughs> that that don't get make the cut down there. All right, that was Sheldrick Redwine, player number three in our Meet the Rookies best podcast available is Drew Forbes, taking a pick number 189 in the sixth round, the tackle 
out of Southeast Missouri State, otherwise known as Prospect X, uh, in the Monday morning QB and the MMQB uh, series that was done. And a, a guy that has shown some flashes, but a guy that when you get taken that late on day three, you're probably looking at developing more than anything else in the sixth round. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I get the impression. I'm not saying he regretted doing the Prospect X story, but I'm thinking he's going to be tired of the fact that he did the Prospect X story because that's sure. it's like what he's known as now. And it, you know he's going to be getting ribbed on from his teammates the moment he he starts joining some of these veterans. I mean, the offensive line last year had a thing where if you were featured on Hard Knocks, you had to pay a fee. So they, they don't like the individual attention to begin with. So you know they're going to give him a hard time about that. And really, when you talk to him, he, it's like – this guy is not a spotlight-seeking kind of guy. I mean, he's not used Correct. to doing a ton of interviews, not a lot, not not used to a lot of exposure. So, I mean, we talked about these LSU guys who are used to the bright light spotlight. The, Drew Forbes will admit he's the opposite of that, and I think it, it goes from both the exposure and the level of competition. I mean, he he's played with a couple players that went to the NFL uh, from Southeast Missouri, but not week in week out he's not facing the top competition so I think adjusting to that is going to be his big thing and then really for him is is figuring out what position he's going to play here I mean it's it's a lot like the situation Spencer Drango found himself in a few years ago here where you give him a shot at tackle if he can do it great if not we'll find a place for you on the inside yeah uh, he's he's going to be a utility guy yeah. until they figure out where exactly well, if he's he wants play. to make the team he's got to be yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee for him right now. I mean, this is a loaded offensive line, not just with your starters, but, you know, Dorsey went to work on the depth. I mean, bringing in multiple veteran guards. You signed Kendall Lamb as a tackle. I mean, you got it's Kush. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to it's not going to be easy for for him to make this team. I mean, it that's it, it, just it's the numbers game right now. Yeah. And it's hard to hide a guy that maybe was so high profile. Yeah. On a practice squad. Right. As in Drew Forbes. But Drew Forbes uh, went through the media gauntlet for a couple days and, yeah. and gave us a few good minutes here. Have a listen. Andrew Gribble with Drew Forbes. All right, Drew, just kind of walk me through these last couple days on what it's been like to go from uh, Missouri to, to now with the Browns here. Uh, it's definitely a change of scenery and resources and uh, just well, people as well. But uh, no, I'm really excited to be here and I can't wait to uh, for practice this evening. For you, especially being a kind of a, a, an off the radar prospect, how, how much of the the kind of dream come true is kind of settled in at this point in the process? I'm I'm just trying to focus on getting better every day at this point. You know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't know if if I let it sink in and reflect on it too much, I, I don't want to detract from like where I'm trying to head and uh, what I'm doing. But it's definitely. Uh, definitely a dream come true going through the the whole pre-draft process i know it was documented that you, you were flying all over the place and everything like that what what stood out about coming here and, and and maybe thinking that you might end up here for for good i would say the well the style of their the offense the browns have and uh, i think i fit that bill pretty well and then uh, i just i really enjoyed my visit here overall i just really enjoyed the people i got to meet and uh, i I enjoyed Cleveland, so that's they kind of kept the cards pretty close to the vest, so it was hard to tell. Now, for you, you went from an off the radar kind of guy to now Sports Illustrated's writing about you and everything like that. What was that whole process, and how many people are calling you Prospect X these uh, days? 
There, there's a few from every, <laughs> some people back in uh, Cape Girardeau or Southeast Missouri State is that kind of was floating around. But uh, anyway, like I did not expect that whatsoever. Uh, my agent called me one day. He's like, hey, do you want to do this? And it's like, well, you don't turn that down, down right? So anyway, yeah, uh, me and my wife love that they got to share our story and share what uh, the process looks like for a young married couple going through this. Yeah, and then what's it been like for the teammates, your old teammates back at Southeast Missouri State, and, and what's it mean for the for the program to see someone like you kind of have the rise you did? I think they see that they could do the same thing. Like, I think that it, there's pe- people in that program that have a lot of talent and a lot of drive that may be overlooked like I was, and I think they can do the same exact thing. You were kind of described as like a, a late bloomer, I guess, at your position. What would you attribute that to, and, and when did maybe things start to click for you? I don't <laughs> genetics I'm not sure <laughs> but no I think I uh, also was able to mature more and take the game more seriously as I got older and then in college I just started growing so much each year as far as as a person as an and as a player how big were you when you got there and, and how big are you now how, how much have you changed Same size but like my I was like 310 65 and now I'm three oh five six five but I went my body comps dropped like 15 percent body fat so that's kind of <laughs> And when did you, what point in your career did you maybe realize that this was a possibility, the NFL was a, a was a possibility for you? I had a coach tell me that in my uh, freshman year of college. He's like, if you want to come here, you can do And I thought he was just trying to recruit me. And, and I, that probably was the case. I'm, I'm not sure, though. And then uh, after things started clicking my sophomore year, uh, some of my coaches said, hey, if you really want to do something like special, like this is what it's going to take. And they really helped guide me to where I'm at today. And then what what's maybe the... Not maybe not the advice, but but the the key for a guy playing at a smaller school to to stand out. What would you say helped you stand out to, to these teams? I think some really uh, quality like pro day numbers, because I did well. I didn't get the combine invite, but uh, just going out on pro day and showing like what you the home, the skills you've honed and uh, what you're capable of athletically. What kind of training did you go through? Was it just back at school, or did you go to a, a personal trainer or anything like that? Uh, Bruce Performance in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Jordan Llewellyn was my trainer down there. They did a good job. Brad Hopkins was my O-line coach. And then I also got to uh, learn from Dan Connolly, uh, uh, D1 in uh, St. Louis. He owns one of those up there, and he taught me the interior positions, which was a huge help, changed the, like, the game for me. You know, it's been mentioned here you're going to get a shot at, at, at playing that tackle position before maybe switching to interior if possible. What, do you like that, that you're going to get a shot at tackle, or what do you think of that? Oh, I'm very excited that I get that opportunity. Any opportunity the Browns organization is willing to give me, well, like, I'm going to take it full on and uh, do it to the best of my ability. And what's it mean to come to a team where you've got a couple guys who made that transition, if, if possible, Joel Batonio, Austin Corbett? I mean, what, what does it mean to, to be around those kind of guys? Uh, I'm, I'm excited to get to learn from them. Like they're some of the best in the in the business. So, uh, and they've also done something that I, I there's a high likelihood I I'll get to do or get to try uh, the opportunity to do. And uh, I think they'll be great leaders and good coaches. You mentioned the fit here. What 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 kind of go into detail about what what about the fit works for you here? When uh, like we met with the coaches and met with the strength and training staff and. Uh, there was just there was kind of a different feel to each organization, and it's it's hard to explain. But uh, when I got to the Browns, it felt like there was there was a, a home like here for me, and uh, I'm really happy that they they brought me up here and gave me this opportunity. You know, the thing that was mentioned in the story, and it's been clear on tape, but you you play with like a mean streak. Do you do you know where you, where you get that from? I mean, where uh, what 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 kind of separates you in that regard? 
Uh, just I said earlier, it was like my sophomore year of football, I was like the fear of failure and not wanting to look like the guy on his back on the field. So I know they're trying to do that to me, and I'd rather it be them than myself who's getting pushed around. But at this league, it's going to be a whole different, whole different world. Yeah, when you look back at your college time, do you remember maybe your toughest competition or who, who maybe stands out? Did you guys even play any money games or anything like that? Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, maybe not a money game situation, but my first live rep, I had my helmet ripped off and my nose was bloodied, and it was like, wow, welcome to college football. And it, I kind of got addicted to it after that, you know what I mean? And uh, I would say that was just an eye-opening moment of, hey, this is what it takes to play at this level. What's your feelings about, I mean, maybe in a couple weeks or maybe a month, you could be lined up across from Miles Garrett, guys like that. I mean, what, what do you think about that kind of level of competition? I'm really focusing on what I can control and what I can do now. And I think the coaching staff here uh, is going to, and the group of guys they brought in and the guys who are already here are uh, going to help everybody to get better to where, on the offensive unit. And uh, I'm just looking forward to see that product that we're able to put on the field. Yeah, and how much of a leg up do you have that the fact that they brought you in for a 30 visit and you got kind of a, a sneak peek of what, what to expect offensively? Uh, I got, they, like I said, they held it pretty close. They uh, showed me maybe a zone play, but they're like, that's that's what you get. But no, I, uh, I, it was it was really neat to get to see this community and how much they love football. What did you know about the Browns before the whole process even started? Uh, that Joe Thomas is one of the meanest dudes on the field, and that they have uh, a, like a great org- organization. And I got to was at Jim Brown yesterday. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to see him. I always. Yeah, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. You mentioned Joe Thomas. So you, he's a guy you watched all throughout your childhood? Uh, not childhood, more once I got to college because I was the Rams had left St. Louis and then I was like more into the college game at that point. But no, I started looking to, uh, towards him as like, well, when they do the top 100, he's up there every single time. And I'd kind of scan through those lists and see what film I could see on those guys from uh, that perspective. You got a month here where you're going through OTAs and the mini camp, and then you've got kind of a big chunk of time that on your own before training camp. What 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 are your plans for that period and to get yourself ready for training camp? Uh, just mentally prepare every day and act like uh, well, every rep does matter, and look at myself in, in the morning every morning and tell myself this. Uh, is a huge opportunity in front of you. You have to go take it. Drew Forbes, a guy that definitely is settled down in his personal life, knows what he wants, knows where he wants to get to. The question is, does he have the talent to do so? I yeah. think that's the big question. Well, he'd certainly, I mean, when we watch film of him, he really, he is nasty. Like on the field, he doesn't stop moving usually a couple seconds after the whistle. He makes sure everything's taken care of, even uh, after con- after after everything's done, uh, and it it's just going to be interesting to see how he handles the everyday grind of lining up against NFL talent day in day out, and really kind of maybe how he processes the NFL offenses and how he adapts. And I think that there's just a lot to work with and a lot to like, and that's clearly why they targeted this guy. Uh, and he's in another year, a six round pick on this team would have had a lock spot on the roster. Now it's I was just say. it's just there's not. <laughs> It's he's going to have to be better, if not maybe equal to some of these veterans that were signed in the offseason to get one of those kind of three backup spots that you maybe carry on on a 53 man roster. I take a look at him. The other thing that worries me about guys drafted late is getting the rep times. Yeah. I mean, God forbid you get hurt in training camp. Then you're really I mean, you become a project. Yeah. And and your reps are virtually nothing once the season starts. But 
I mean, getting this guy some reps, he's going to have to show something right off the bat to even get a lot of reps because, I mean, we know what the roster is going to be for the most part. So getting these guys second team, third team, preseason games, okay, fine. He's going to play a little bit. But, you know, those reps, especially after preseason game number two, you know, I mean, that fourth preseason game, okay, he's going to get some time. But, you know, that week we're in Indianapolis, and then when we go to Tampa on the quick turnaround, you're really going to be hard-pressed to find the reps if you're not showing something early. Yeah, and I wonder almost what is better for his chances. Is it if he shows he's good enough at left tackle, or is it if he takes the guard route? I I don't know which one is better. I would imagine – the surest path is if he really proves competent at left tackle, and then all of a sudden you've got a competition between him and Desmond Harrison or a competition between him, Kendall Lamb, Chris Hubbard, all, all those guys. I mean, that's that, that maybe is the best-case scenario for him, but, but even then he can move to guard and then compete with Cush, Witzman, you know, those guys for, for some of those reserve spots. But ultimately I don't, I don't imagine he's going to pick up snapping the ball in one season, so he doesn't have yeah. that uh, uh, skill set there yet. So it's it's interesting on the offensive line when you're not a starter it's the more you can do that's that's ultimately what's going to get you on the team. Our final player in our Meet the Rookies best podcast available, Jamie Gillen, little Scottish hammer yeah. as we like to call him. One heck of an interesting interview uh, yeah. that you had with him. He's got he's <laughs> he's been some places. Yeah, and he, it's really interesting. Like there's so many layers to what makes him just a unique prospect. I mean, first, like, his family life and his dad's in the Royal Air Force. He's moved all around, and then he moved to America, went to John Dorsey's high school uh, in Maryland, and then it looked like he was going to play rugby in America for a little bit and worked with some club teams, didn't qualify for the U.S. team because he hadn't been a citizen long enough, just all sorts of weird journeys, and all of a sudden he picks up football and then starts getting an offer. But And then I, I don't – the one underappreciated – part of his story is that he went to Arkansas Pine Bluff, which is a, it, it could not be a, any diff, more different from Scotland. <laughs> like, I'm just saying like there's, there's parts of America that maybe can make it an, you know, a smoother transition. But you know, this guy went to Arkansas Pine Bluff and handled the punting and kicking for them. That's why one thing we noticed at rookie minicamp, they were really working him at holding. Like, and that, and I was, I know there was some missed field yeah. goals and I wondered, I was like, I know the, the kicker missed it, but, how much did it have to do with a, a guy game. who hadn't held a football in, for maybe 24 hours? Well, and with a center that is long snapping that maybe isn't used to being a long snapper or yeah. whatever the case might be. It, it looked a little rough. I ever watched that right. exchange he, for a good He really was minutes. learning because he was the kicker. I mean, that's the uh, he, he was much better at punting than kicking, but uh, it, it is interesting to, to kind of see how he operates. But this is a big guy. I don't know if that is, is made clear with the picture in the air. This is someone – who can legitimately play rugby? Like this isn't your standard punter looking guy. I mean, he's he he's not big enough to like really be a a football player at any other position, but this is someone who you look at like, wow, that guy's in great shape. Like this is someone who if he's out there needing to make a hit, he he can he 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 wouldn't hesitate. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know, everybody says, "Well, we have Britton Colquitt. Again, it's all about the competition." And you got to bring in competition not just for the kicker, not just for the punter, but for the long snapper. Freddie Kitchens has mandated the special teams must be better than they were a year ago. And Mike Prefer totally agrees. And I think Prefer kind of likes the uh, the 
the Scottish hammer. Well, there's a little bit of an investment there. I mean, this guy's been Prefer's been on him for a few months now, and I, I think it, it, it is interesting. And I, I, I did. I was very taken aback by people wondering why you bring this guy in. I was like, you know, last year it maybe not have been a big story, but the Browns brought in a kicker or, or brought in a punter who was a starter for the previous year for the Green Bay Packers and Justin Vogel. I mean, this is what you do. And I think that uh, had had Vogel been better uh, than, than Colquitt or even equal. Colquitt went down for a little bit. Colquitt right. had a little injury, and you were but, like, well. But by the end of training camp, it was clear Colquitt was better, so yep. you keep the better punter. But Vogel was a guy who punted in the league. I mean, he was a he was a guy from Miami and, and had was an accomplished accomplished guy, albeit young in his career. I mean, this is what happens to, to punters and, and and those kind of specialty, those long snappers. Uh, this is why a few years ago you got Andy Lee for a sixth-round pick because the 49ers drafted a guy and they wanted to make room and have a cheaper punter. You know, so there's it's just the reality and economics of football. So uh, if you find a guy, I mean, there there's a legitimate the, – the guy's name is – is it Michael Dixon for Seattle, the rookie yes. punter? That yeah. guy is a legitimate weapon. And if you struck gold – with a, a guy like Jamie Gill, and all of a sudden that, that kind of changes things. All right, well, sit back and relax and enjoy this one. The Scottish Hammer, Jamie Gillen, sitting down with our Andrew Gribble. First off, uh, kind of walk me through the experience on how you ended up here with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, it's just an incredible experience to be here. I'm looking at all the facilities. It's just night and day compared to what I was used to in um, college, you know, so it's just a dream come true, really, just to be around great guys and great coaches and just get better. What was maybe your first connection with the, I know you made a visit here, but what was your, your first connection with the Browns? It was actually Mr. Prefer coming out to Pine Bluff to do a private workout, and I took him out to an Irish pub. We had some uh, food together, and uh, we chatted for a while, and then we had a great day of kicking the next day, so it was really fun. And then that after that, we then went to uh, an official visit, and I met everybody. I had a great time then, and then now I'm here now. What what was maybe the the draft weekend like for you as a punter? I don't know if you, you were expecting maybe to get drafted or how did that? What, what did you do that weekend? Uh, I just hung out with the family and I graduated from college, so I was done with my classes. So we're celebrating that and just hoping that someone would uh, just give me a shot at coming to camp or anything and end up signing as an undrafted free agent. So that was awesome. Going back and and how you ended up even coming to America. What was what, what walk me through your journey that kind of got you here. So I, I came from boarding school. I left boarding school out to Southern Maryland because my dad's in the Royal Air Force. And I picked up uh, football about five games into the season, played half a season, and then got a scholarship through a Facebook post because of uh, one of my really good friends, Trent. He put, threw my uh, highlight film in there and they offered me a full scholarship. So I punted, kicked, and kicked off for Pine Bluff for four years and had a good time. And now I'm in the position I am now. So it's just incredible. What was the, the biggest uh, change for you moving from overseas to, to America? The, honestly, the size of everything, everything, the houses, the size of the trucks, you'd never get away with a truck like, you, you know, a Ford F-150, anything like that. It's just awesome. So with the size of the meals that you get, you know, everything, <laughs> it's just crazy. But it's good times, though. And, and your background is in rugby, right? Oh, yeah. What, what, how did you get into that as a kid, and was that something you were really good at, or how did you, how, how was that uh, before you came to America? So I've been playing rugby since I was five years old. My dad, I used to watch my dad play rugby all the time, and uh, then I played all the way up until when I was 12 years old. I got a full sports scholarship to a boarding school, so I went there, and we won a national championship together. I played fly half, which is essentially the quarterback of the rugby team. And uh, being a fly half, you have to have kicking skills too. So I just transferred my kicking skills from rugby to the football side, and it worked out pretty well. 
Did you know you went to John Dorsey's high school? Yep, <laughs> and that was the first thing we talked about with uh, Mr. Dorsey, so <laughs> it's cool that he's, he knows a lot of people I worked for actually in the county, so especially uh, Mr. Cryer, I used to help out with his baseball field and uh, painting and decorating it and uh, help out at his bar and stuff, so everybody heard I was coming here was like, oh, you're going to meet uh, Mr. Dorsey. I was like, I can't wait. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to go from Scotland to to Maryland, but then to then go from Maryland to Arkansas Pine Bluff, that's a, that's a completely different environment as well. What was that like for you? That was a huge culture shock, but I've moved house so many times uh, with my dad being in the military that meeting new people has never been a hard thing. So I was just extremely blessed to have the opportunity to play college football and then also on the full scholarship as well. So I've got a four-year degree for free. I would, you'd never get that in Scotland. I got free food, free housing, free weight room, everything. So it was, it was an awesome experience and everybody was super inviting when I got there and I've got you know some best friends for life from that school. How long did it take you to fall in love with kicking and punting in, in, for American football? Uh, instantly because I've loved kicking and punting a rugby ball. So as soon as I knew I had a little, you know, gear for kicking a football I knew I was going to love it so any part of you missed the contact though yeah I, <laughs> I really miss uh, hitting people and stuff so well in rugby is such a contact game and everybody who knows me and play with me I love tackling I love hitting people uh, creating the essence around in the in the game and stuff so and I like being able to sidestep people and you know just being in the mix of the game but I understand that's not that's not where I am in my life right now. I've got, I can play, my dad's 47 years old and he still plays rugby, so I've still got time to play. <laughs> you know, when did you realize that the NFL was maybe a realistic possibility for you? Uh, probably after Coach Saunders uh, kicking combine when I went there. I've never really gone against anybody. Uh, I just was doing really well in the conference, but you know how that goes. It doesn't matter how you do in conferences, about how you do in front of people and big time people so when I was in front of the, some of the best in America and I, I won that competition I was like okay I think I got a good shot at this now and then having a really good time with Mr. Prefer and the 49ers and then a bunch of teams calling me after that I was like okay this actually might be uh, an option for me now. When was that in your process? Uh, that was so right after the pro day I did the vertical uh, bench and everything and then I kicked in front of 15 NFL teams and after that I probably had about 20 teams call me uh, before the draft so and then obviously Mr. Prefer and Mr. Kwan from Fort Niners coming out to uh, do a private workout and then all kind of went from there. What did you know about the NFL before you moved here? Nothing. <laughs> did you know any of the teams or anything like that? I didn't eat, no, I really didn't I knew <laughs> I knew about the Green Bay Packers, because my friend loved the Green Bay Packers from Scotland. It was, I was just rugby, rugby, rugby for me, all in Scotland. You know, I didn't even pay attention to soccer. I just liked to play it with my friends. Have you ever been to an NFL game yet? I have. I've been to a preseason game with uh, my my neighbors are huge Philadelphia Eagles fans, so they brought me to a preseason game. That was incredible. So, where did the nickname Scottish Hammer come from? That came <laughs> that came from my first high school coach. He knew I was from Scotland. He saw me kick a couple of footballs, and he was like, yep, I'm going to call you the Scottish Hammer, and he made me do all three duties there. And I I kind of swept that one under the rug a little bit going into, um, you know, the into college, and they called me Golden Toll at college, and then somehow the Scottish Hammer got unraveled again, so it was back <laughs> getting called Scottish Hammer, so it was fun. What's the mindset for you entering? You know, it's obviously going to be a competition here between you and Britain Colquitt. What, 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 what mindset do you take into to a situation like this? To learn, 
to learn from him. He's uh, he's going into his tenth year, and obviously he's an incredible punter, being ten years in the NFL. So learn from him, learn from Mr. Prefer, and continue to better myself. You know, and I understand I've I've got a, a good leg, and I'm I've, I'm talented enough to be in this position now. Uh, now it's just uh, grafting and the consistency and getting better with my team. You know, or the t not my team, the team. You know, and gelling in with the team perfectly. And where do you go after? Can, you know, you got a month here where you're going to go through OTAs and minicamp. But where do you go after that before you come back for training camp? Uh, if I've got a good amount of time, I'd love to go home. I haven't been home to Scotland in about four years now, so I'd love to go home and see my extended family and my friends. I'm sure they'd like to see me too. And then take you know take two weeks out to go and see it, then come back and get right back into uh, working out and getting better. What, do, what does your extended family think of what what's gone on with you here so far? They uh, really surprised. Uh, they all thought I was going to take the rugby route, um, but they're really happy for me and they're super excited because it's just uh, for all my buddies back home and my family, they just think it's incredible what I'm doing right now. So, Did you ever play any rugby when you got over here? Yeah, yeah. yeah I played uh, played for the state of Maryland. We played a few other states. I played in the Stars and Stripes USA game. Um, I wasn't able to play for USA at my age level because I only lived here two years. I was going to go to a couple of colleges, maybe for rugby, but then right at that peak time was when I transferred into the football, and that's when the scholarships and stuff started coming in then. So, Is it a rule you can't do any rugby for fun now while you're with the NFL, or how's that go? Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out, you know, because with uh, the – you know, my contract would be because of my leg, and you wouldn't want to hurt that, you know. But we'll see how it goes down the line, you know. But rugby can wait. <laughs> I'll keep working out hard in the in the gym and the conditioning, and I'll just roll right back into it if I can. The biggest takeaway from Jamie Gillen's interview. Uh, I've been telling multiple people around the office uh, throughout the week, he is our number one candidate for Browns that could also be on Game of Thrones. <laughs> like, he has the accent, the hair, the look. I mean, if if you go out, out to practice and and someone's like, "Hey, there's a Scottish guy in this team. Find him for me." This is the guy you're you're you're, you're located without and, hearing yeah, him. Without hearing him. This is he, but he's he's such an interesting guy, and like just the when you hear him talk, you kind of get mesmerized by the accent, and you just uh, he he's confident, but he I think he acknowledges that this is a pretty new game for him. It's not just a new environment in the NFL. This is a relatively new game that he is playing in his life, and he's really was a rugby player first. And but now I think he he chose the path where he knows that this is the path to to potentially having a great career. Uh, and I I don't know if he likes the nickname or not. I think he just kind of got that by accident. But it's what he's going to be known by, especially if he ends up making this team. I, I, another nickname, no matter what, yeah. that you will be he will be stuck with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with the veterans on this football team, uh, to be sure. Is there anybody else that really stood out? You mentioned uh, the one gentleman that got signed by the Browns here after rookie minicamp, but is there anything that else that stood out to you player-wise, development-wise? Because this is a new coaching staff, and I think we lose sight of that because Freddie was here a year ago, and there are a couple coaches that are still here. But, you know, for the most part, it's a new coaching staff that's breaking it. Less in terms of individual players, but more in terms of the decisions that were made in, in signing some of these undrafted free agents. I thought it was interesting that you signed multiple centers, and they're just centers. They're guys that played center in college. I thought that was interesting. It just tells you what they think of the current roster construction. I also thought it was interesting that they did not draft or sign any defensive tackles, which I thought was an area that you might want to add a body or two but it also might show that they feel pretty good about some of these guys that they're bringing back. I think 
beyond Sheldon Richardson uh, and Larry Ogunjobi. You've got guys like Brian Price that they feel good about. You sign, re, Even though he didn't play really much at all last year, you brought back Carl Davis uh, to this team. So you've got some options uh, at those defensive tackles. Another guy that really has been overlooked uh, is Daniel Equale, who made it's, – it's very rare when this happens, but he went wire to wire on the practice squad last year all the way to the season. So someone there clearly – they see something in, or they would have moved on by this point. Someone else that can be competing for one of those final de- uh, defensive tackle spots also could be an indication of what you're going to do defensively where you're going to have a lot of situations where you might only have one defensive tackle on the field at a time. All right, stage three of OTAs starts next week. That'll take us right into mandatory minicamp, the first week in June. That'll be an eye-opening experience for these rookies. Now, the rookies, will uh, they'll end up staying around here for another week or two after that. The veterans get to go on summer vacation. The rookies will be here, then they leave, and then they come back a week or two prior to training camp, and it all starts for real. Yeah, that's when, it, that's when we'll really see who stands out. I mean, that's that's we can all watch rookie minicamp and think we've got to figure it figured out, but it, it might change in a hurry here. It is amazing to see how far we've come. Going back to a t- something you brought up earlier, you know, we always used to talk about sixth round and seventh round picks and where are they going to fit on the depth chart. And oh, this one might have a chance to start. And this one, I mean, we're talking about guys that got drafted that might not make the team, much less even the practice squad. Yeah, I think that 2016 and I think 2017 draft class all made the team. Yeah, uh, coming right off from from the draft, and it made sense. And it was like complete shock and craziness in 2015 when you cut a fourth round wide receiver but everyone else made the team so it's just a different roster setup different scenario and you know even though it was only seven picks a relatively no, low number for this team it'd be a stunner if all seven made the team and I think it'd be even a surprise if six made the team I think it's going to be tough it's it's just the, the numbers aren't there like they used to be and that means you're good. Yeah. So welcome to being relevant. <laughs> Gribbs, all pleasure as always, my friend. All right. For Gribbs, I'm Gibbs. Thanks to Greedy Williams. Thanks to Sheldrick Redwine. Thanks to Drew Forbes. And thanks to Jamie Gillen. Make sure you download this podcast. And if you missed any of the other episodes leading up to the draft and following the draft, including our draft recap from last week, you can do so. Log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast. This has been episode 12 of the best podcast available.